praise the Lord. Uh, and just a reminder, in case I forget at the end, at the end of the service every week, uh, we have a wonderful prayer team that's over here to my right and your left. And if you have need of prayer, uh, they're, they're prayer warriors, and they would be, that's why they're here, is to pray for you and for your needs. Well, it's a privilege to be here again, to be able to speak to you again. It's something that God put on my heart several weeks ago, uh, which was that during, we had a few weeks ago, a month or so ago maybe, we had a, just a wonderful worship service. We didn't, there was no preaching of the word, but the word came forth through the worship. And, and as Pastor Chris was doing such a good job of introducing it, the Lord just stirred something in my heart to, to, to help take this to another level. Um, I've been a Christian for 46 years now, 47 years, and I've begun to experience over this last year something I have never experienced in my life. I've read about it, I've read of people that experienced it, but I'm experiencing it's beyond a revival. It's an awakening, of, it's, it's, it's a level of worship bringing in to, to, to me an intimacy uh, in my relationship with Christ and with God the Father and especially with the Holy Spirit that I read about, but I've never experienced it at this level. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches that are in Christ, and there's no, there's no depth to his love, there's no depth to his reality, and there's no, depth to the, there's no limit on the depth of the Holy Spirit in you. And the Spirit of God's been given to us to make Christ real to you. Not just an idea, not just a person you read about, not just a person you love from a distance. Jesus said, I have been with you to his disciples, but now he's going to be in you. And Jesus prayed in his last high priestly prayer that we might know that oneness with him that he lives in with the Father. And so there's no limits to that except the limits of our mind and the limits of our flesh. And the key to experiencing that is worship. The key to experiencing that is worship. And I've had to confess to others that, that for all the years I was a pastor, I, I never, I, I, I love the worship, but I, I never could fully engage in it. And I knew there was something missing. And so I just began to cry out to God. The beginning of God really working in your life is when you accept where you are and just say, I need help, but I want to. And God began to bring across my path certain things to read, certain music, and I am experiencing something today that I, that I know God wants you. Many, some of you are way ahead of me, not that we're running a race against each other, but some of you have never experienced it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about or whether it's possible. You may know about it. You may have seen it, but you don't know whether you can experience it. And what we're going to learn today is God longs, God yearns for all of us to live in it, not just on Sunday morning. So we're going to talk today about worship. And in order to do that, I need to give you, I need to give you some teaching. And teaching, what's teaching, there's basically there's preaching. Preaching is where you get inspired, and we need all that. Uh, and Pastor Ray's a great preacher. He can teach, but he's a great preacher. But we also need teaching and instructions. Pastor Michael's good at, really good at teaching. Because what teaching does is teaching helps to break things down so we can leave here with understanding and go home and apply it in our life. It's like giving a set of tools and instructions on how to use it. And, but the, the preaching inspires us to get out of where we are and to get going with it. So just, just bear with me and follow me. You'll, you'll be okay. So God is intended for worship, especially in the time we're in right now. Worship brings us into an intimacy with Christ, an intimacy with God the Father. And it's that intimacy that keeps us on track in very confusing times. 
there is more confusion in the world, there's more confusion in the body of Christ today than any time in my whole life and walk with him. There's probably more confusion today than there ever has been because there are more voices out there and the Bible talks about there are many voices out there and none of them are without some significance, which means they have an impact on us. And nowadays, through social media, through the various devices that we have from our phones to pads to, 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 to TV to everything that has access, voices have access to us almost all the time, let alone the devil himself who talks to us. And so there are many things that are out there to distract us, to confuse us. And it breaks my heart because I read things and I hear things and I've talked to many Christians and I can tell they're being distracted and deceived and they don't know it. The very essence of deception is you don't know you're being deceived. That's the danger of it because deception makes you think so clearly you're right. And that's why God builds into our lives certain checkpoints to help us keep us from that. But one of the key, and Paul writes uh, uh, to Timothy that in these last days, there are going to be many who will be deceived and drawn off. So how do we know, how how do we know we're on track? Well, one of the things God's given to us is worship. Because worship is a heart-to-heart communion with God. There's an intimacy there. And when you get off track, when you get off of that line, then you begin to lose the peace. You begin to lose that sense of that intimacy and communion. Why? Because other things have filtered in. I heard a preacher that I admire once say, everything the devil does is try to distract you, listen to this, distract you from your devotion to Christ. So everything... Every problem that comes at you, every worry that gets thrown at you, every care that gets thrown at you is ultimately intended by the enemy to distract you from your devotion to Christ. And worship is a connection of your devotion to him and his devotion to you. I've never been a pilot, but I understand that one of the things they do with pilots is in order to tell whether they're on track or not, especially at night or especially when, when, there's, when there, there's fog or they're going through the clouds, is they have a device, a radio device, which is, used to be called a I don't know what it is today, but it was be a signal. And when that signal was a certain tone and a certain rate, they knew they were on track. And if it began to get off track, it would change so that they knew they were off track. And so this is what worship does. Worship leads you into an intimacy with God so that you know, you know, you know your, your heart and his heart are connected. And if your heart and his heart are connected, you ultimately will not get off track because you'll hear the voice of his spirit correcting you. But how do we get to that place? It also allows God to heal the innermost parts of you. So many people are struggling, suffering with identity crisis, with, with worry and anxiety. And it's because we're, we're living separated from the heart of God, which is love and joy and peace. Jesus said, my peace I give you. And yet so few of Christians are walking in that peace because that peace passes understanding. It's not based on the circumstances of our life. It's on the communion with God in our heart. And this is truly experienced through worship. Let's look at Psalm 105, excuse me, Psalm 100. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break, give you, we're going to spend a little time giving us some understanding of what the Bible says. Because most of us, and even those, uh, those of us who know the difference, we still mix things up. So we tend to think of praise as fast songs, and worship is when they slow them down. 
but there's some powerful worship songs that have a, have a rhythm to them. And there's some wonderful praise songs that are slower. So it's not the tempo of the music, although it very often is similar. So understanding what the difference is, that what God has provided for us. And Psalm 100 begins to give us an understanding of that. Make a joyful shout to the Lord with all your lands. We're going to go through it and then come back. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence. That's what we're talking about this morning. Come before His presence, His manifest presence. That means you can sense it. You can feel it. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. So you, I, don't want, I don't want to get caught up. There's so much teaching in this. He is, it is He who made us and not we ourselves. That creates an atmosphere of humility, recognizing you didn't create yourself, so you're not your boss. You don't own yourself. Not only did He create you, He redeemed you, so you're twice owned. He made you, which gave you ownership. Then you rebelled, and then He bought you back with the blood of His Son, so you're twice His. He made you, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. This is the key I want to get to. Enter into His gates. I'm going to read through it, and we're going to come back to this verse 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Let's just stop there. There are three things that are mentioned there, and these are the three different things we need to understand about praise and worship. In order to do that, I want to take you and give you a very, very, very quick overview of something God used to teach this to the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. And Gordon Udall did a great teaching on Wednesday nights a few, uh, over a period of time this, this spring. God gave Moses something called the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it was a structure that was intended to teach the children of Israel basically what worship was. It was, it was to be constructed in the, middle of their, in the middle of their camp, and it was portable, so when they moved, it, this could move with them. And it began with an outer perimeter of a linen cloth, and inside that perimeter was a courtyard, and inside that courtyard was an inner tent which contained two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. And it's not our purpose or time to get into all of that. But in that inner tent and in that inner room, the Holy of Holies, God's presence, God physically dwelt through a cloud in there. So when the high priest went in there one a day a year on the Day of Atonement, he was physically in the presence of God. And no time to go into all the, all the preparations that had to be done so that that was done correctly. So the children of Israel knew that every day God's presence was in the middle of their camp. And they could tell because God could not be confined to this room of this tent because there was a pillar of fire that went up through the roof of this and there was, there was a pillar of smoke and then at night a pillar of fire that went up. So they could physically see God's presence in there. Outside of that tent and inside of this courtroom, inside of this courtyard, which was there was dirt, the floor was dirt, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a, an altar called the brazen altar, and on this there were animals sacrificed 24 hours a day. And that altar represents the cross, the payment for our sins. And they could smell this in the camp. So they knew that their sins were being paid for by an animal's life being given up and being burned up, and that represents the fury of the suffering that, cross went, that Christ went through on the cross. Now, in order to get into that inner room where the presence of God was, the priest had to come to the door 
of this, of this gate, this, 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 this perimeter, and it was called a gate. So when he says enter his gates, he's talking about entering in to this process of coming into God's presence. So the first thing we see, because these are different, there's a distinction between thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And when we don't understand they have different, they're different, they have different focuses and different purposes, then we get all mixed up and we don't know what we're doing. We're just singing songs, our hearts get stirred up, and that's okay, but God wants to bring us beyond that. In order to do that, we need to have an understanding of what's going on. They're not just, you know, they practice hard on a, on a Tuesday night. They put a lot of effort into it, but we need to be able to know what they're doing so we can cooperate and flow with them. And that's our purpose this morning. So entering in the gates means coming in the doorway of this process of coming into the presence of God. So it starts with thanksgiving. So what is thanksgiving? Well, I'm going to give you this very deep, you really want to write this down. It's giving thanks. You got that? That's heavy. I expect to see that on social media all over the place today. But let's think about what it is. What thanksgiving really is, it's a focus on what God has done for me. And, and all of these things are, are prescribed in the Bible. They're so important. But notice the, there's a progression here. And so the progression starts by focusing on God, what, all that God has done for me. Part of my concern is so many of the songs today are, don't get beyond this. It's all what God has done for me, 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 me. God has done it for me. And we, know, we very rarely get out of what God's done for me yes. to the next level. And it's, a, it's an important place to start because everything in the world's telling you that there's nothing to be thankful for, but this recognizes that God's done things for me, that He loves me. I told you I'll take care of you after the service. Okay. Keep, just keep going. It just shows you what's so important today. Okay? Just keep your eyes on me. Just keep your eyes on me. Okay. So, thanksgiving is thanking God for what he's done for me. So the real eyes are on me. And that's an, that's an important beginning. Understand this. I'm not saying today that we've done anything wrong. God's trying to teach us. To, he's calling us to another place. This is what I sensed in that worship day we had. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. But this is only the entrance. We don't want to get stuck there. Because then he says, come into his courts with praise. The court is now inside this, this tabernacle, and it's in, a, in an open area, and now we're faced with the, with the altar, brazen altar, where these sacrifices bring made, and we're looking at the price that, this, that represents the cross. So we're looking at the price that God was willing to pay for us. And several weeks ago, I did a message on how precious you are, and the measure of your preciousness is how precious the blood was that he shed for you. So, so, so now praise is beginning to look at it, 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 what the price that God paid for me. But it's now looking at how great he is that he would do this for me. So in many ways, it's the same idea, but the focus is now off of what he's done for me and how great he is for doing it for such as I am. So it's a subtle change of focus from the me who's receiving this to the greatness of this God. We just sang of the goodness of God. That was a song of praise. But I'm going to show you in a minute. It leads to something else. 
Can you begin to see the difference? So, but this is not it either. Here the sacrifices were offered for their sins to prepare for entering the presence. The focus here is on God and what God has done. And God wants us to have focus on Him. He, call, he inhabits the praises of our people, but He inhabits the praises of our people to bring us to somewhere else. So praise is singing about the marvelous, wonderful things God has done. His graciousness, His kindness, His goodness. And all focused on God now. So our eyes are now off of us. And we're beginning to lift our eyes up to who He is. And what He's done. And how marvelous He is. And that prepares us for the place God wants to draw us. Now there's another, there's some things we need to understand here. We can choose as an act of our will to give thanksgiving. In fact, the Bible tells us to do that. It says to give thanks in all situations. Not for it, but in it. So whatever's going on in your life, you can give thanks to God because the one thing you know above everything else is if everything in your life goes wrong for the rest of your life, you're, not gonna, you're going to heaven when you die. For eternity. Paul said it this way. He said, these momentary light afflictions, and if you ever think you're having a bad day, read what he went through are earning for me an eternal weight of glory. So I joyfully go through these things. I'm not happy in them, but I'm not discouraged by them. I'm not depressed by them because this is not where I end up. So we need to be thankful all day. And we need to praise God for who He is and the greatness of God because it recognizes we're not alone. The enemy wants you to think you're alone. The enemy wants you to think you're overwhelmed. There's a situation in, my, in our life which is just, it's not a big thing, it's a small thing, but I keep struggling and thinking, I don't know, what, I'm trapped in between these two things. I don't know, I'm never going to figure out the answer. And then God just reminds do you think I can figure this out? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm trying to handle this on my own. But when we praise Him and acknowledge His greatness, His wisdom, who He really is, then we begin to realize, we're not only we're not alone, He's not only in this with you, He's in you to take you where He wants to get you. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure, but we often stop there because we don't know where else. And so what happens, and again, this is no criticism, but it's to help us get there. So we get to that place, especially in worship in a church service, and we don't know what else to do, so we clap. And clapping's okay when there's songs, there's, there's a rhythm to it. But what happens is we clap, but think about that. If you go to a great concert, what do they do at an end of a song that stirred them up? We're clapping. All right, clapping is okay, except that there's an intimacy with God that clapping pulls us out of. And there are many times I sense that the Spirit of God is ushering us to begin to bring us into the inner rooms of those tents where the presence of God is, and we don't know what to do, so we get nervous, and we get nervous our flesh because we don't know what to do. And this is where I believe God wants to teach us and to train us. So we have to be willing to admit we've, we've been wrong. Now, I'm, not, I'm speaking generally now. Some of you have been there walking in this and that praise God, but just humor me. I'm just getting to there. Just, so come with me. Again, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. That's okay. Be thankful to Him and bless 
his name. The word blessed there is the Hebrew word barach. Got to be careful there's nobody too close to you when you say <laughs> barach. And literally what that means is to bow your knee. So, so many times when you see bless the Lord, what he's saying is bow your knee to him. Bow your knee. I don't want to get off on this because I could spend, I've, I've taught this in a series. That, that, but there are times that God says he blesses us. That means he bows to us. He condescends to give us of himself. But we're talking here about blessing his name. So what does it mean to bow to, to bow your knee to? Well, it speaks of reverence. It speaks of submission. It speaks of surrender. In the days in which the New Testament was written and even part of the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, when, when a nation was conquered, an army was conquered, to, in order to, to get in front of everybody's senses what had been done, they would parade the king in front of the victorious army and they would bring the king in front of the, or the, the king, and they would bring him in front of the, the, the general that had conquered them, and they would make them, make the king bow, and bow in, bow to him as an act of submission. But that was forced, because if he didn't, he'd lose his life. God doesn't force us to bow our knee to him. He calls us into something that's so grand and glorious and wonderful that I want us all to get a taste of. It speaks of an openness of the heart to surrender to him. You've heard Pastor Chris and others of us mention over and over again of God's calling us to surrender because the, 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 I'll give you this little secret. This is, this is worth the price of admission right there. The only struggles we really have in our life is, is where we haven't surrendered. I'll say that over here. The only struggles you really have in your life is where you haven't really surrendered. I'll try it over here. <laughs> the only struggles you really have in your life are where you really haven't really s- s- surrendered. Why? Because if you're completely surrendered, it's God's problem. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your care on the Lord. And that literally means in the Greek, once and for all. Not in the morning and then you go take care of it and tomorrow morning you give it back to him. No, it's turning, it's surrendering the care once and for all because you trust that he can take care of it. And it says there why? Because it literally says in the Greek, because it matters to him concerning you. So when we hold on to those cares, we're saying to him, I have more confidence that I can handle it than you can handle it. I knew that would go over big. Each of these have their purpose in their place. But because we've not understood the differences and their purposes, we really haven't experienced to the degree God wants us to the intimacy that God desires to have with us. Many times we don't even know that intimacy is there for us. We don't even know it's available. But we need to learn to be aware and sensitive so we can cooperate with the Spirit. So in order to understand this, we need to go back over some... You can take that scripture down. Thank you. In order to understand this, you need to go back over some basic things that I've taught before, on and off for many things, that you're made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. I know there are many people who believe that you're just soul and body, but they're wrong. 
I don't have time to get into it. I can show you scripture for it, and there's another, many reasons for it. Spirit, soul, and body, three parts of you. God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've been made in His image, the three parts to us. And so your, your body's the obvious part. That's this house. But that, you know, that's not you. This is your earth suit. It's your house, your temporary dwelling. In fact, the Bible talks about it as a tent. A tent is a temporary dwelling. And in case you haven't noticed, it's changing. Just to look at some pictures of you 15 years ago. It's changing. Okay? And the Bible says it's supposed to. All right? But that's not you. And then you have a soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your, and your emotions. Basically, your personality. It's the part of you that most people know when they get to know you. It's your personality. But that's not you either. That's a tool God's given to you. The real you is your spirit being. Your spirit being is from another realm, the realm where God lives, and that is the very core and essence of who you are. And when you came to Christ and you received Christ, that's the part of you that was changed. That old man, the Bible calls him, died. And a new man was birthed in you. That's the new creation, the new birth, born from above, born again, was born in you. God birthed his own spirit in you. He birthed in you a spirit born out of him. And that's why Romans 12 tells us that we are to renew our mind. We make our bodies a living sacrifice. We're to renew our mind to change the way we think so that God's will can be done in us because he's already put, his own, already put a new spirit in you and that spirit is born of him. That's what makes you his child. And I don't have time to go off on all the teachings of us. Okay. Spirit, soul, and body. Thanksgiving and praise that we've talked about come out of your soul, your emotions and your thoughts. So as we sing these songs, uh, uh, the goodness of God, we just I love that song. It just stirs me up because I'm thinking about things God's done for me and how great He is. And it stirs up my emotions and that's wonderful. That's what God wants. But there's a point. There was a point in that song at the end and many of them where it's bringing us to a place and we don't know where to go from there. So you decide, you can decide, I mean, this is why God says he can command us to give praise and thanksgiving. Why? Because you can do that on your own. You can choose to. But worship is an invitation. Worship is where you're drawn in to this intimacy with him. Now understand this. And we're talking, he wants it more than you do. But you're drawn into it. And he's drawing us through our thanksgiving and praise. So we're going to talk about that intimacy. We're going to talk about that worship. We're going to talk about what that is and then how, how can we experience it. Many times, and this is the problem, many times we're virtually totally unaware of the spirit that's in us, our spirit, let alone his spirit in us. So we go through our days and we go through, and many Christians don't even think about it until we get to church. We open our Bible and we read our Bible and that's good, but when you're reading your Bible, that's your soul working, but the Spirit of God in you wants to open your eyes to see things in that Word. That's to be a communion with God. And if you just read your Bible to read your Bible, that's great. That's better than not doing it, but you're not going to get the fullness of what God... God wants to talk with you every day. And if we'll allow Him throughout the day, But the problem is he talks to us spirit to spirit. And if you're not conscious of your spirit, 
which is most of us are not living conscious of it. We may be aware of him from time to time, but we don't live conscious of the spirit that's in us. Then, then Paul has a term for it, carnal. Ooh. Carnal means flesh-oriented. I'm more aware of my soul. I'm more aware of my emotions. I'm more aware of my thoughts than I am of the spirit that's in me. And God wants to bring us out of that and mature us out of that. So John chapter 4, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. This is, the, this is near the end of a, of, a, of a conversation that Jesus is having with a woman. And we talked about her before. This is a woman that's an outcast of her society for many reasons. This is a lone woman. She's a Samaritan. That means she's not part of the covenant family of Israel. So for, for, oh, by all accounts, she's worthless. But not to God. Because God, think of this, God sent his son to talk with her. And not just to talk with her, but to bring her out from where she was into a place of communion with him. Think about this, because it applies to our lives. God sent his son personally to this outcast woman whose life was a failure. She had five husbands and had so given up on relationship that she was just living with the next guy. She had to come at noontime. The women, rest of the women came out at dawn because it was the coolest part of the day. She couldn't come out with them because she was an outcast. A failure by all, by all means. And God sent His Son personally to her. Not to condemn her, but to bring her out of where she was, lift her up into a communion and relationship with him. Oh, this is so powerful. And so he says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask for me, and I'd give you living water, which is what we're talking about today. And she said, well, I don't know where you're going to get it from. You don't even have a, you know, this is, this, my father's planted this well. And he says, no, water I have for you doesn't come from this well. And she said, well, then I want this living water. And now he begins to address her life. Well, have your husband come here. And now he knows what's going to happen. She says, I don't have a husband. She says, that's right. You've had five, and the one you're living with isn't your husband. And now she realizes she's not just talking to anybody. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And now she gets into a discussion of worship. Well, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship here on this mountain. In other words, where's the right person? She's getting into a religious discussion with him. That's one way to avoid real spirituality because religion keeps us from spirituality. You notice the only people Jesus was ever mad at were the religious leaders. Why? Because their rules and regulations interfere with God's intimacy with his people. And so she gets into this discussion about worship and he's now going to use this to draw her to a new place. The woman said, Sir, I see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Notice his answer. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, for we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming And now is. In other words, stop there. Everything's changing. The place where you worship is no longer significant. Israel had to go to the center of their camp 
to where this tabernacle was to worship. And eventually they would go to the temple that Solomon built to worship. They had to go to the right place in order to worship. And Jesus is saying that's now changing because that limits the experience that you can have of God and that limits the experience that God can have of you. So that's all changing. And why is it changing now? Because I'm here. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeking such to worship. Stop here a second. This is what we're going to focus on right now. For the, for when the, for, for, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers, if there are true worshipers, that means there are worshipers that are not truly worshiping. So he's implying there's a worship that's not true worship. So what is true worship? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. That we'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I want to break that down. In spirit and truth. Little simple words are so powerful. The little word in, I-N, is the Greek word E-N. And what it means is to, it means by means of something that you're contained in. I'm just going to read a little bit. It means... It means, it refers to the means or that which in something is contained. So if I said to you, after the service will be dismissed, we're going to have a reception, we're going to have, a, we're going to have a, a party in the fellowship hall. In the fellowship hall tells you two things. It tells you where it's contained, where the party's going to be contained. It's not going to be in here, so you know you won't get in the party if you stay here. You're going to have to leave here and go in to the fellowship hall because the fellowship hall is where the party's going to be held. So it tells you where it is, and it tells you what the place is that the party's going to be contained in. Now, there isn't one that I know of, so just... It's a real simple, basic stuff, but it's important. Everyone understand what I'm saying? So the word in is telling us that what we want, what God has, is somewhere that's not here, and we need to know where that is if we're going to have that. So if you're going to be at the party, you've got to leave here and go into the fellowship hall. So let's bring this over to his discussion. So true worship is not here on this mountain, but it's in, it's contained in the Spirit and it's contained in truth. Let's talk first about truth. The word truth in Greek means, is aleleia, which means totally open, nothing hidden, completely exposed. I'm holding nothing back. By the way, you can't hide anything from God anyway, but when you're hiding it, you're hiding yourself from Him, not Him from yourself. I'm going to say that again. When you're hiding something in your heart that you don't want God to see, He still sees it. The problem is you're hiding it from you. Uh, There's a whole teaching on that we could get into. But that's not being open. So the word truth means open and exposed, holding nothing back. What you see is what you get. The best example of that is in the end of the book of of chapter 2 in Genesis 
where if talking about the creation, the wonderful creation, God says they were, it says they were both naked and were not ashamed. Why? Because they, no, they had no clothes on, but they didn't know they had no clothes on. Why? It didn't matter because they were so absorbed in who God is and the relationship and communion with God, they were no longer, they were not conscious of themselves. And that's what truth is. It's when you're no longer conscious of yourself in His presence. You're just totally absorbed in who He is. So it's in truth. And it's in spirit. Why? We'll come back to this. Go to the next verse. Verse 24. Why? Because God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's saying if you're going to join the party next door, you have to be in the fellowship hall because the party's not in the sanctuary. Here's another example, which I was thinking this morning as I was going over this, will become outdated at some point. Suppose you, have a, you, have a, you, you rent a car and you're going somewhere and you have a favorite, uh, favorite satellite station that you listen to. Maybe it's the message or something like that. So you get in the car and you go to turn it on. I've done this before. And the rental car has satellite radio, but they don't subscribe to it. So you try to turn it on and it's not going to pick it up. It's out there. It's in the airwaves. But you can't pick it up because the radio does not have the, is not tuned in to that, to that satellite. Or FM and AM is a better example. So you've got an AM radio trying to listen to an FM station. You're not going to get it. Even though it's there and available, it's all around you because your receiver's tuned into an AM station, not an FM station. So when we try to worship God, not praise Him, not give thanks, we try to worship God with our soul, we're trying to get an FM station with an AM radio. And you go, but God's given you an FM station. He's given you an effort. He's given you that spirit in you for the purpose of communing with Him. Because God is a spirit. That's what He's made up of. The only way we can truly worship Him is spirit to spirit because spirit to spirit is the purest possible line of communication. Oh, I wish we had more time to do this. Because, because God's provided a way of communicating with Him that way. Romans 8.26 says that when we don't know what to pray, God's provided for that because His Spirit in us helps us, takes hold together with us against this infirmity. We don't know what to pray. And He prays with us and for us and He corrects your prayers into something that's the perfect will of God. And the other communication back in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says we don't, there's deep secrets that are in God's heart that He's freely given to us. Our Spirit searches the depths of God's heart to reveal them to us. So the Spirit takes the things in God's heart our soul can't grasp and communicates them to our spirit. So it's the divine method of communication, but not just for, for information, but it's the, there's heart-to-heart worship. Oh, I've got to move on. And the last word in there is we must. Those who want to worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. There's no other way. It's impossible. Just like in order to get an FM station, you must have an FM receiver. He's looking for an intimacy that's, not, that's only experienced through true worship. It's the desire that comes from His heart. So He says, go back to, um, go back to the verse 23. But the hour is coming now is when true worshipers will worship the Spirit for the Father seeking such. So now we've talked about what worship is 
And now I want you to see his heart, his side of this. He's seeking. He's, look, he's not seeking worship. God doesn't have an ego problem. God's not saying, I, I need to get worship more. No, he's seeking worshipers. He's seeking worshipers. He's seeking your heart. Now let's look for a minute at the word seeking. Seeking, he's, he's looking for an intimacy that's only experienced through true worship. It's a desire that comes from the heart, reaching out to meet the desire that's coming from his heart. great example of that, his heart is in Matthew 18, 12. They're not going to put it up there. It's the story of, G, of, a, of, a, of the shepherd that leaves the 99 to seek, to find the one shep, sheep that was lost. He left everything here to go to seek. His heart was seeking after because he couldn't rest until he found that missing sheep and brought him back. And then there's the story of the woman with the lost coin, the parable Jesus talked. It's all about a heart that's seeking. And so she had this valuable coin which represents your heart to God. And it's lost. Doesn't mean he doesn't know where it is. And so she tears the house up. I've done that sometimes. I've lost something. And I, know, I know I just had it. And you start pulling things out, moving cushions aside. Oh, you're going to find... Why? That's seeking after. It's not just saying, boy, I wish I found it. God's not in heaven saying... I really, I really love to have these people open their hearts and worship me. No, he's here. He's actively seeking after it. I think of the time when we were on vacation with our, with Pastor Chris and Jenna and and their their two kids, John and Emma. They were small. John was a baby at that time. And, and we're, Emma just always adored her grandmother. And, and for the first time in her life, she's actually where her grandmother was sleeping. So she gets up in the morning, and, and her grandma's sleeping still. And Emma comes to me, and she says, Can I go wake her up? I Oh, yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I, she would, so she goes in, Emma, little Emma, standing there next to her grandmother's bed. She's sleeping there, just like this, waiting. Anticipation of the moment her grandmother will open her eyes and see her loving face looking. That's what God does when we come together. He's waiting. His heart is seeking and yearning for this experience with us. And we just sing a few songs, clap and say, oh, that was a good experience. And we leave and God's here. I wanted more. There's so many times I say, he wants more. There's more here. We'll talk a minute about what blocks it and then we're going to do a little bit of worship. I've got to move on quickly. So I want to talk about God's yearning heart. We were created in His image, which means that his, He has desires and emotions just like we do. Sometimes we think of God as sterile and firm and hard. No, our, our emotions, His emotions are like our emotions. The difference is His are pure. They're never selfish. Isaiah 63, 15. What's happened here is that the, um, the people have sinned and the prophet, can you put Isaiah 63 up? He's, the prophet is praying, now look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious, where are your zeal? He's asking now that we've repented, will you restore to us your zeal and your strength and the yearning of your heart? Will you restore the yearning of your heart to us? God's heart still yearned after a nation that had rebelled against him. Let's go look at Jeremiah 31. Here Israel has repented of their sins for a moment, and this is God's response. When he says Ephraim, that's one of the tribes of Israel, but it refers to all of Israel. Is Israel, Israel my dear child? Is Ephraim my dear child? Is he a pleasant child? 
For though I spoke against him, I corrected him. I earnestly remembered him still. Therefore my heart, this is God, my heart yearns for him. And I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. James chapter 4. Now James is a, is a letter that's written to correct, good measure correcting. And here he's correcting an attitude of our heart that affects our prayers. He said, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss for the wrong motives, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Keep going. This is what he calls them, adulterers and adulteresses. Whoa, wait a minute. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wait a minute, how in the world can we be an adulterer to God? Well, look at it this way. God considers him, if you're his child, you're married to him. Jesus is the bride, He's the bridegroom, and we're the bride. And so God has entered into a covenant with us through Christ more sacred than the covenant of holy matrimony. This is why God hates divorce. I understand some of you, I'm not getting into that, but God's attitude, because it's, it's a breaking of a covenant. That's why God hates adultery, because it's the breaking of a covenant. But what is adultery? Adultery is when you choose to get your pleasure and your needs met outside of the marriage covenant, where God ordained it only to be received. But that's not just true physically in a physical marriage. It's true spiritually. God considers it adultery when we run to the world to get things from the world that God wants us to get from Him. But here was not the purpose to condemn any of us. But let's go on. Let's go to the next verse. Or don't you think the Scripture says in vain that the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, yearns, yearns, So inside of us, that was Old Testament we looked at, we have the Holy Spirit who's yearning after us, after our devotion and our love for Him and our love for the Father through Him. He's yearning for that heart. So what's the problem? God yearns for us passionately, for the communion with Him that only worship can give. This is why the crucifixion is often referred to the passion, the passion of Christ. It's the expression of His passion towards us. The book of Song of Solomon, I'm not going to go into it, it's a very steamy book if you read it. And it's all about the pure passion and desire of the Shunammite woman for her beloved. But it represents the passion of God for His people, the passion of God for His people. And if this were an adult classroom, I would go to another level with that, but it's not. It is this place of spirit-to-spirit communion that God is able to download into us the things He wants the peace, the joy, answers. Some of the most powerful messages I've ever had were downloaded into me during worship because the channel's open. The channel's open. So what blocks us? Just three really simple things. First of all, ignorance of the spirit worship. If we don't understand the difference between spirit worship and praise and thanksgiving, then we don't know when we're entering into it when we're not. The second is the image we have of God in ourselves. If we see God as stern and hard and judgmental, it's very hard to be open and intimate with a being of that, that, that image. Or we see Him, He's so majestic and so awesome and wonderful, how could we be intimate and close with us and yet He became a man and dwelt among us so He could be close to us. Or we have the image of ourself. I know, I, know what, I, know, I know God's heart yearns towards me, but my heart's not always yearning for Him. In fact, it doesn't do it anywhere near as often as I have. Need to. But see, love is a decision. I can love God whether I feel it or not. 
because I choose to it. I can love my wife whether I feel it or not because I choose as an act of my will to love her. I can choose as an act of my will to express my love to God. I don't have to wait for a feeling. I can open my heart and give it to Him as an act of my will. It's a choice that I make. It has to become a lifestyle. It's not something you just do on Sunday morning. We ought to be able to come in here so tuned in so ready because of our lifestyle during the week that you come in here and it's like a room full of gasoline fumes and they start the first note and ignites the room with the presence of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because we're going to spend just a few minutes to give us a taste, an opportunity to act on this. And again, when, we, when they dismiss us, then if you, if you have a need or you've never received Christ... You need to receive Him in your heart as your Lord and your Savior. If you come up, there'll be people here to help you in that prayer. If you need, they'll be over here to help pray with you. And very often, worship opens the Spirit up to begin to do some things. And just a reminder that, that when we close then, if those can, of you that could help us clear the stage, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. This is a sacred moment to God. Hallelujah. This is important to Him. Thank you. Let's stand together. Stretch a little bit if you need to. Father, we just praise you and thank you. Father, we come to you right now. And we we just declare to you that many of us don't know how to do this. Father, help us to not be condemned by what we've heard today, but you're instructing us because your heart's desire is to draw us into something that we've never experienced or we've experienced that you want to draw us deeper and deeper into this, that we may truly know you as a reality greater than the seat that we've just been sitting in and the person next to us. So Holy Spirit, we just call upon you and we surrender to you to yield to allow you to 